you tell them I'm coming. And my you tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me mug is coming with me. Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons, joined by Logan Denning and Joe Hubner here as we get into the third matchup in the Elite Eight of a tournament we are doing to determine the most interesting person in history. I know this is a history and film podcast, but after spending the last four seasons going over world history, one film at a time in chronological order, we wanted to kind of sum all that up and transition into our future projects with this tournament here. So, gentlemen, how are we doing this morning? Fantastic. I, uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, <laughs> so, as, as <laughs> avid listeners will know, typically during our recording sessions, at least lately, ever since the... Queen Elizabeth Wyatt Earp Massacre of 2021. <laughs> I've been drinking out of the, the mug, the, you know, tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me. Uh, I, I, I wanted, I, I was going to text you guys about this, but then I thought, oh no. Did you break the mug? You I didn't it. break them. I didn't oh, break no. it. But the mug <laughs> is broken. The mug is no more. However, oh. the good news, the good news for me is that I actually live in Arizona so I will be making a pilgrimage to Tombstone to procure another Wyatt Earp, you tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me mug in the near future. But this week, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm relegated to drinking out of just a, a regular water bottle. So R.I.P. Wyatt Earp, R.I.P. Wyatt Earp mug. I'm just picturing when you go and buy that mug and then you're heading back home, you can basically text your wife and being like, you tell them I'm coming, and I'm bringing my hell's coming with me. I heard you say it like it's like it's like it's like nested inside. You tell. Oh them. no, she's she she's gonna be coming with me. Well, you know, she's okay, be fine. Coming with me for sure. You text whoever and just say, yeah, you know, you you tell them we're right. coming. Yeah, and hell in our. You tell them I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. Bug is coming with us. It's coming with it. I don't know. I, I can't even it's say kind of like an inception down, thing but, there. Yeah, exactly. It's like inception <laughs> inside I, of itself. I I would be lying if I said that I didn't consider. Just like driving there, buying a mug and driving back, which like just for reference, it's about a three and a half hour drive. Uh, you could probably buy it online and have it shipped to you. But a pilgrimage sounds better. True. Rich, I live in Arizona. I can't buy a Tombstone mug online. I have to go get one from Tombstone. It's a matter of principle. Oh, I forgot the state laws are pretty strict on Arizona about that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's our that's our priorities. No, like coronavirus mask. Who cares? But you know, I'll be damned if I'm buying a mug from online, an Amazon tombstone mug. No, thank you. I also, uh, well, you know what? You got. You should just. You know what? You're right. Go full hardcore Arizona. Find the red clay. Forge the mug yourself. Fire it. <laughs> hand paint your own tombstone quote on there, and leave the rest of us alone about it. <laughs> I'll I'll have to like make it with some like find some dirt in Tombstone to make it <laughs> oh, out of something like true, that. True, true. Or you know we oh hey, you know what we can combine it and we'll get, we'll get, we'll bring you some Dodge City dirt. You maybe sneak oh, up and get perfect. some get some Deadwood dirt. We're gonna make the full yeah. like wider actual mug that you deserve. <laughs> L.A. is not that far away. We could probably get some dirt from his actual grave too while we're at it. Oh, Ooh, or, or his actual remains. I mean, if we don't want to get if we don't want to get arrested. We can just be about it. <laughs> for legal purposes, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, for real, for real. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'll, and I'll dress up as Queen Elizabeth and smack the mug out of your hand and break it again. <laughs> well, that that also means if I have if I go to Tombstone to get a white earth mug, that means you have to go to London to get yourself a Queen Elizabeth mug then, or to paint my face white with her uh, uh, her face makeup. Right, right. I also like that Logan said we had we have avid listeners. We have listeners. I, if anybody is a, considers themselves an avid listener, please write in. <laughs> don't don't patronize us like that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to have a healthy relationship. You know, avid is almost like bordered on like you know, like I don't know if they're like obsessive, and we got like fans that are. Uh... No, you got to fake it till you make it. That's true. That's true. You know, pretend we have like groupies and stuff. Or maybe we got fans that are going to hand make Logan Logan Denning mugs and. Uh... <laughs> Oh, that's right. Because last week we we talked about I'm I'm the actual sleeper championship 
person in, in this bracket. No, right, because you've worn so many hats. I, I don't think we'd filled anybody in on that yet. Right, that was actually off the air, though, I think. Oh, yeah, wait. Yeah. I think that's new information for everybody else. That's right. That's right. Never mind. That recording was lost to the... Well, we don't know if we're, well, we're going to repeat what we're going to not. But yes, Lo- Logan is a potential candidate for most interesting person in the world <laughs> because he's worn a lot of hats in his life. Marine, please. We've got to write in. Yeah. We've got to write in for the final, final five. Help do the play. Help do the, yeah, playing game. You know what would be funny? Uh, would you obviously cut this out when, when you're editing it, but it would be funny if, if you took just that section from my recording where I'm like yelling about how I'm actually the most interesting person. <laughs> made, made that the cold open, but then it, that's never in the rest of the episode because that's not the recording that we use. <laughs> uh, I, I still need to use the uh, recording of you and the wasp in the hotel, which Joe doesn't know about. But oh, it's, geez, it's, you've never heard a marine more scared of an insect. <laughs> Listen, you were in a hotel and a and a wasp attacked you during recording. Yes, yes, yes. I was in. <laughs> Bro, this was the jankiest, the jankiest hotel. It was when I was in pre-deployment quarantine for my second deployment. And at this point, it was the second hotel. It was my fourth week of a five-week quarantine um, that was only supposed to be two weeks long. And yeah, for some <laughs> some way, somehow, I, I don't know how because I had to stay in my room the whole time. But a wasp got into my room like while we were recording. And it's just like buzzing, flying around my head flying around the little lamp that's like right next to me and i'm just like <laughs> i can't concentrate <laughs> on anything that we're talking about because there's a wasp flying around and so then i had to like go try and like find you know either a maintenance person or it's like something like i went to the front desk I was like do you guys have like a raid or something i have a wasp in my room like no but we have this like it was like a squirt bottle of like cleaner like some kind of like sink cleaner or something and i'm like <laughs> shooting this wasp with <laughs> How are you supposed to talk about history when you're just trying yeah. not to die? Come on. Yeah, it's not, it's not like it was a bee. It was a wasp. Wasps are evil. They will attack you for no reason. It was one of those, like, killer killer hornets right, from yeah. Africa. Oh, it, right, it wasn't, right. you know, like a... The, the murder hornets. Murder hornets, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yes. Murder hornets. Exactly. Uh, like a honeybee, a bumblebee, something like that. That'll leave you alone. But a wasp? No, thank you. Well, we've started off the rails here. <laughs> we'll try to get back on now. <laughs> Okay, so today's matchup pits T.E. Lawrence of Lawrence of Arabia fame and Ashaka the Great. Uh, a little more of a dark horse, not a well-known name in the English-speaking world, but definitely uh, a major contender who deserves to be at this point in the tournament. So Joe, again, as you kind of are coming in just for this round, looking at who they got past to get here, what are your thoughts on... T.E. Lawrence and Ashaka, and maybe who would you have liked to have seen beat them out to get here? Uh, well, certainly uh, Ashaka, you look at his bracket, and that, I think that was, like you said, a, a big-time sleeper coming out of there. Right, uh, right. You know, with Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, and Ramsey II all in that bracket, I certainly wouldn't have anticipated it. So that's a, a testament to him and, and what he uh, did in his lifetime. And then T.E. Lawrence, honestly, this one wasn't quite as surprising to me <laughs> okay and, and we'll get into that one here in a little bit but this one wasn't a, a huge surprise I, I think he was the the right person to come out of that bracket so i agree don't gloat yet logan <laughs> <laughs> i'm guessing i'm guessing rich did not agree oh i i i, I enjoy t lawrence as well but I, th- I feel like logan's already like all right i know which way joe's voting today i'm like oh, we don't know that yet we still gotta have the conversation no that's that's not what i was saying <laughs> I got plenty, plenty of notes on both of them, so okay, I'm, okay. I'm going try to try to defend them both a little bit here. So yeah, let me start with my, again, I kind of liked, I was re-listening to our full bios, and I kind of take some highlight notes, so let me start again with each person in turn, just kind of running through the highlight notes, and then Joe can kind of start with maybe some things we missed, and then the conversation will just kind of go from there, obviously. So yeah, T.E. Lawrence, obviously the humble bastard origins, which is kind of a big deal to become world famous uh, from, you know, starting in obscurity. The spy slash archaeologist, which is obviously crazy, although I think he's probably a little less Indiana Jones, a little more scholarly with uh, that's I don't think he's chasing being chased by boulders too often, but uh, still very cool. Front row seat for the vast change in the Middle East at this time. One of the you know, biggest upheavals in that part of the world. Well, probably ever. He's a, a man of action out of place after the war, which I thought was kind of interesting. So basically, once World War One is done and the Middle East is kind of, well, stabilizing might not be the right word, but as it's kind of re, has been reshaped and maybe not in the way he liked, he kind of just 
yeah, again, was just a man without a role in the world and kind of bounced around uh, different things and trying to, you know, use an assumed name to hide from his own notoriety and, you know, becomes an author, does some more spying, depression, and just kind of an overall loss of purpose kind of near the end of his life. So, Joe, any other thoughts or things you thought we missed? I, I, Logan's pretty thorough with his T.E. Lawrence, I know. I, I mean, I, again, you guys did a great job of covering him, um, and I think you, you hit all the main points. His, his story really stuck out to me because, you know, we, Logan and I both talked about the most interesting person is somebody that wears a lot of hats, and that's clearly this dude. Archaeologist, bicycle enthusiast, military <laughs> leader, spy, author. You know, he, he did it all. So definitely excited to, to dig more into his story. Some of the cool stuff that I found doing some research on him dealt with his military tactics while advisor of the Arabs. Actually, I don't know for sure when this came from. I tried to dig further into it and I didn't find a whole lot, but I found one thing that said uh, he was actually one of the first to utilize airplanes as direct support for ground assault. Oh, wow. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, I, again, I didn't find if that happened while he was assisting the Arabs or if that was when he was under an alias in the Royal Air Force afterwards. Gotcha. Or when that kind of, that strategy came up. But in my mind, you know, I'm thinking like kind of precursor to German Blitzkrieg, possibly. So I thought that was kind of neat. Uh, and then another thing, which maybe Logan can uh, attest to this more, but it said his tactics used with the Arab forces are still largely used by modern militants in the Middle East. Oh, wow. Traced it clear back to, you know, the stuff that he was doing. And I'm assuming kind of in terms of kind of guerrilla yeah. warfare. Yeah, it's basically, that is a uh, a good way to describe it, is guerrilla warfare. Because it was a lot of, like, hit-and-run tactics, you know, where they're derailing a train or, or hitting a patrol and then getting away really fast. Like, it's, uh, they were technologically not as advanced as the Ottomans because the Ottomans had the backing of Germany. Um, and they were also, you know, the Ottomans were a numerically superior force as well. So they were definitely doing the hit and run guerrilla style stuff a lot. One thing that we that we didn't actually, I don't, I don't think we talked about it at all. Definitely in this tournament. I don't even know if we talked about it when we did Lawrence of Arabia. Um, but he also one of the things that he dealt with after the war was he had some pretty bad like PTSD issues, which obviously at the time, you know, they, they didn't, you know, it was like called shell shock or, you know, battle fatigue, you know, whatever it was, you know, different, different terms for basically the same thing. But it's obviously been a, we know a lot more about it now. And it's a lot, you know, a lot better treatments and stuff. But yeah, he was having to deal with uh, some pretty terrible stuff. Like, uh, for instance, the scene in Lawrence of Arabia, where he has to, uh, where he has to execute that guy, that did actually happen. He did have to carry out that execution, basically, in order to keep the tribes, the two tribes, from splitting up or, or worse, you know, outright fighting each other. He basically had to take on that responsibility and execute that Arab fighter. But uh, there's an interview with Peter O'Toole where he's talking about how he met someone who was there when that happened. And it, it was similar to in the movie, but not the exact same way. Instead of just like, you know, shooting the guy, you know, as he was laying there on the ground, the guy was like down in a well. And he had to sh was shooting this guy down in the well, and he kept missing. But he couldn't obviously stop shooting. Like he had to shoot the guy, but it was like, it was this kind of protracted, drawn out thing that, that shouldn't have been. And uh, yeah, that, that really, uh, really messed him up for a long time. Probably, I mean, till the end of his life. That's like the Mary Queen of Scots execution. Yeah, not to not necessarily anything about T.E. Lawrence specifically, but just this matchup. Um, I think this is. I don't know if if either of you guys agree, but I think that this is the hardest matchup on the the rest of this bracket. Like for the elite eight onward, I think this is the hardest one. I think this is uh like T.E. Lawrence is so absolutely fascinating to me, but also Ashoka the Great like defeating Alexander the Great and Julius Caesar and well he not didn't directly defeat Julius Caesar but Alexander the Great Ramses like these are names that are known like thousands of years later and you know we voted for him because of his that crazy transformation from like bloodthirsty conqueror into pacifist basically 
And so having him and T.E. Lawrence be the two that are going up against each other, um, I, I know, Rich, you were talking about, you know, Cleopatra, Genghis Khan might be like, oh, that's the championship, you know, essentially as big as the championship. I think that this matchup is is as big as the championship, at least in um, like to me personally, it's like it's that split. Um, and I can't I don't necessarily disagree, but then I also look at, you know, next time with Napoleon and Matilda and in the back. So I again, everybody in this final eight deserves to win the whole thing. Right. I mean, you can make a case for any of these final eight winning the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually uh, have right here the the H.G. Wells book that you quoted when you were doing your bio oh, on yeah. Ashoka. I actually have that. Whoa. Here and, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a first edition or anything, but it is it is uh it is from like 19 it is like a 1956 yeah, print Rich, of it. I I have that book too, obviously, cuz I quoted it. I didn't just like Google uh, the quote <laughs> out see it on the internet. It didn't just show up on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, so here's yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't know novelist H.G. Wells was a historian as well. And so this is a two-volume world history book uh, set that he has. And yeah, he talks about uh, Oshaka being one of the greatest monarchs in history. And the, the sentence here that kind of just sums everything up, he is the only military monarch on record who abandoned warfare after victory. Yeah. And then also you mentioned wow. about the, you know, wow. the quote of him like just kind of shining alone. So yeah, the, my, my highlights of Ashaka, uh, again, doesn't have necessarily the same obscurity thing, but his rise to power against his... In fighting off his brothers, he wasn't necessarily his father's choice to succeed in India there, conquering the largest Indian empire in history, and then just the 180-degree change to a pacifist after defeating, defeating Kalinga yeah. and his Buddhist conversion and the spread of Buddhism that goes back to his reign. That's just such a monumental moment in world history that, again, we just never really heard about growing up. And then how he has basically obelisk Twitter right. edicts. You know, for all intents and purposes, these obelisks all put all over the country served as his version of Twitter back in the day, how religiously tolerant he was, the fact that he would then go around and actually over 2000 years ago as this warlord who conquered all of India, he's going around and meeting the farmers and asking if their lives are okay and how can he make their lives better. I mean, this is just, it's just not a thing. It's not a thing today. And this guy was doing it over 2000 years ago. I I did want to ask Joe, so I don't know about you, Rich, but... I had never heard anything about Ashoka the Great, like in any like high school history class that I ever took. Like I, I heard about him. No, nope, I agree. You know, from your episode on Ashoka the Great back in season one, so I was going to ask Joe <laughs> when was like the first time that he heard about Ashoka the Great because obviously he's you know went to legit history school. So like when was when was the what was his first exposure to Ashoka the Great and kind of what uh, what his uh, feelings towards that was when it when it first happened? Interestingly enough, the the first time that I heard about Ashoka the Great was last year teaching AP World History. Oh, huh. It's it's not in like regular world history curriculum, you know, and I think you mentioned it on the, the bio that U.S. The way we teach world history is so uh, Eurocentric because it's, you know, the U.S. is predominantly white. We come from Europe. Like, so that's what we learn about is we learn about the history of white people, basically, and uh, and how their like, you know, Greek culture, Roman culture, British culture, all that has influenced the way the U.S. is today. So we don't learn uh, about Asia at all, really. We don't really learn about African history. You know, but there is a great deal of content there that we neglect. Um, and, you know, so like on level world history, like and when I say on level, I mean, like, you know, your your normal 10th grade student taking world history. That's their class, uh, not AP or honors history. Uh, there's basically a chapter on Asia and that's it. A chapter to cover all of the Middle East, all of India, all of China. And that's the last you hear about them until... World War One, which is crazy when you think of how influential right. those cultures are, are, like on a world. That's where most <laughs> of the people live. On a world stage level, like you know, math and gunpowder are not white people inventions. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. There's there's so much important stuff that comes out of that. But and I mean, I guess technically, I say one one chapter that is legitimately focused on them because right. they come up like in the Crusades. A little bit, you know, obviously Crusaders going over there and that's where we get, uh, you know, a lot of those 
those things that you're mentioning. We, we got a lot of math knowledge during the Crusades because of uh, Middle Eastern scholars, uh, you know, passing that knowledge on. The discovery of all those Asian spices that ultimately lead to the colonization of the New World come from the Crusades and the Crusaders being exposed to that. Again, there's, there's tons of rich culture over there that we don't learn about as yeah. American students. And, and it's all connected. That's kind of like you're, you kind of remind me of just something we've talked about so many, so often before that everything is connected. And there's, you know, there's, you know, yeah, you don't think about the Crusades leading to exposure to new resources that then we develop a thirst for and, and it stimulates the economy. And then we need to go explore to find another way to get those. And then there's the Ottoman Empire blocking right. off trade and right. Yeah. And, and yeah. And then, yeah, to both your all's point that we don't learn about this yet. That's where most humans live. Most humans live in the area we just yeah. talked about, but then we don't learn about yeah. it because we're not necessarily descended from that group as a as a country writ large. And yeah, it's it's a shame. And I, I think we do our students and ourselves a disservice by not get, being more well rounded on those uh, basic things. But luckily for everybody else, this podcast exists, so you can listen to it and you can learn all the world history about everywhere, not just Europe and America. <laughs> Yes, you are. You're, you're welcome, everyone. So let's uh, let's do what we've kind of been doing here, where we'll uh, we will take turns voting. But I do like kind of spelling out, you know, the kind of justification for your vote. And I think it's my turn to go first this this week. So I will do that. And I agree, Logan. I I am very very torn here. I would say more so than yeah. I think you know. So I was torn on all of them I, again. I think everybody in this elite eight could advance and win it all and you can make a justification for any one of them being the most interesting person in history but this is harder for me as well i i'm gonna go with ashoka but i'm fully prepared for you guys to maybe go the, the other way and i think it t lawrence does wear more hats you can argue that for sure and i think for me it's maybe just more about how unique he is from the standpoint of that that military monarch and he he is kind of unique in history and not that T.E. Lawrence isn't unique but you wonder how many other T.E. Lawrence types we never even heard of other people who are doing things behind the scenes and wore a lot of different hats or you even mentioned that American guy who's kind of gone from shoot what was oh, actually what was oh, his name uh, real quick Johnny Kim you're we talking about Johnny Kim yeah uh, yeah which, uh they they haven't made a movie about him yet but it's like a given that they will but yeah we were talking about his his uh you know Dad killed in a shootout with LAPD when he's a teenager. Then he joins the Navy and is a Navy SEAL in the same SEAL platoon as Chris Kyle, who we did an episode on, and Jocko Willink, who's really famous. Mm. Uh, And then he gets out of the SEALs and he goes to Harvard Medical School. And then after he's a doctor from Harvard Medical School, now he's an astronaut. And that's like not even the end of it. Like he just (laughs) is like recently an astronaut within the last like year or so. And he's probably going to the moon and there's a very good chance that he'll be one of the first humans on mars so so what you're saying is we missed a candidate well, for the <laughs> <laughs> i mean yes but they haven't made a movie about him yet so technically he wasn't eligible to be in our tournament so you know, sorry <laughs> sorry johnny kim if you're listening you know we'd love to we got, we'd love we to got time you, but yeah no movie so so kind of to my point so nothing against kim or lawrence but I think just there are lots of multi-hat people, multi-hatted people. <laughs> uh, lots of people have worn lots of hats. And I do think that's awesome. And T. Lawrence is amazing and unique. But Oshaka, given the position he had to take a route that basically no one else ever in his position has taken, is fascinating to me. And I also think for how long ago he is, again, over 2,000 years ago, this is this is it's still in the you know BCE era, and which is redundant because E means era. Um, <laughs> I I feel like I was almost like we talked about with the Trung sisters. What else don't we know about him? Like, does T. Lawrence have an advantage in that we just have more information about him? And kind of then to Joe's point, where we don't learn about this stuff. So maybe this is a little bit of me wanting to be an advocate and just kind of you know what? Well, we're going to be the ones that put him in our final four. So you guys vote how you will, but I'm going with Ashoka the Great. So I'll go ahead and chime in, because uh, I actually didn't get a chance to talk about anything Ashoka, really. Oh, sorry. So, yes. so I want to <laughs> take, take the opportunity to kind of, you know, uh, defend him a little bit and, and kind of support uh, Rich's vote there. But I, but I did think it was fascinating that, you know, they said his father had like 100 kids, and he's like one of the youngest. And 
Rich mentioned that his dad didn't even like him. Like, apparently some sort of physical, not a good-looking kid, I guess, uh, was what I gathered. Then he ends up getting taken to, like, uh, a Hindu scholar, because India at this time is almost entirely Hindu. One of the oldest uh, major religions in the world, and kind of a tangent there, kind of a side note, just the, the significance that religion ends up playing through Ashoka um, it's necessary to mention like Hindu is like part of their society. It's, it, it's everything for this culture because of the Hindu caste system. Uh, and so that really comes into play later when we mention the spread of Buddhism. So I'll kind of cycle back to that, but parents of Ashoka take him to this Hindu scholar and say like, you know, who is going to be my successor? And the Hindu scholar without like directly saying it because he fears for uh, Ashoka's life he kind of like gives some characteristics like, oh, your, your son that is going to succeed you is going to fit these characteristics, knowing that those characteristics perfectly fit Ashoka and none of the other boys. So out of fear, the, the scholar tells Ashoka's mom to GTFO <laughs> and uh, <laughs> because she might not last either if the king kind of figures the because puzzle she out. Wasn't, she wasn't a noble. Uh, Ashoka's mother was actually a commoner. No, right, um, his, right, his oldest right. brother. Yeah. I think like his oldest brother's mom was like a legit princess, but his mother, yeah, was a commoner. So yeah, not uh, would not have been very hard probably to just yeah get rid of them. <laughs> and when you when you have a hundred kids, uh, you, there's something mathematically that doesn't work with that with one woman. <laughs> so <laughs> good luck. Uh, so yeah, lots of different wives or you know consorts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, basically, the scholar tells him that Ashoka is going to be the one to succeed him. Uh, once his father kind of figures out the riddle there, I guess, he becomes a governor. And then after his father's passing, there's kind of this civil war between him and his brothers. And I kind of gather that he basically ends up killing all of his brothers that are remaining. That's what it seems, yeah. yeah that was, he just slaughters them all. I think we touched on that, like, really briefly in the bio episode. But, yeah, it's... It's one of those things where it happened so long ago that, like, historians aren't really sure what happened, but they're pretty sure that there was a massive civil war of some sort, and they're not really sure who killed who, but at the end, Ashoka was in charge, so it's like, yeah, he probably just killed all the rest of them. (laughs) (laughs) Probably just kills all of his surviving brothers. And then, uh, you know, like I said, continues his father and grandfather's expansion of India, uh, ending up creating the largest... Indian Empire to date. And then uh, conquering the Kalinga region ends up with like 100,000 deaths. And that takes a toll on him, which inevitably leads to his conversion to Buddhism and makes this great change of heart. But one of the things that was interesting with that to me, I I found some speculation about kind of his, his change of heart is more or less could potentially be fabricated by Buddhist tradition. Mm. And exaggerated by Buddhist tradition, because because I saw speculation that you know his change of heart per se, he did continue violence according to some sources, and the downplaying of that uh, is again to benefit the Buddhist religion and kind of show this huge dramatic change of heart that might not have been actually as uh, dramatic as it seems. When he has his, you know, change of heart, he basically, he doesn't go full-on pacifist where he's like, oh, you know, all violence is bad. He just kind of becomes like, he takes on this mindset of, you know, well, you know, I'm I'm just not going to conquer for the sake of conquering anymore. But he also kind of understood, like, he was a realist. He was like, well, I have to, you know, defend my borders. Like, if someone attacks me, like, I'm going to, I'm going to kick their ass. Or, like, if people try to do an uprising or a rebellion, like, I'm going to put it down because I'm the king. Like, that's my responsibility. I have to do that. You know, I can't just allow anarchy in my kingdom. But he was, like, not looking to do conquest anymore. But, yeah, to to your point, he, he definitely was still violent at times, but, like, just for, I guess, better reasons than just, like, wanting to get more territory. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of what I gathered and kind of what I assumed was kind of a middle ground, you know, uh, obviously, like you said, he, he had to be able to defend his, his empire still, or else you're not going to be emperor for very long. But then to kind of cycle back around, you know, now he's got this conversion to Buddhism and, uh, you know, Buddhism is one of the three missionary religions between Buddhism, Christianity, and Islam. Whereas 
you know, Hindu, they're not trying to convert people to Hindu. It was built into their culture. But with the spread of Buddhism and sending these missionaries, you know, one of the principles of Buddhism is 100% contradictory to Hindu, and that's of the equality of human life. Um, you know, Hinduism, like I said, the caste system is ingrained in that culture and in that religion. Wait, so the, the caste system is a Hindu? I thought that was like specifically an Indian culture thing, but you're saying that that comes from Hinduism? It is all uh, in, entwined in, uh, in how I've interpreted it. I thought those it. just like, like it was those two things just happened to both be Indian culture. I didn't know that, that the caste system came from from Hinduism. Well, and, that, and that's with the whole idea of reincarnation. Oh. You know, you live a good life as a serf, you're going to be reincarnated as gotcha. a noble, right? You live a bad life as a noble, you're going to be reincarnated as a serf. And, and that kind of, it ultimately, it led to making it really easy to govern. Well, yeah, really. it keeps the, it keeps the peasants in line. Cause they're like, oh, <laughs> it keeps people in line. Well, you can be me someday. <laughs> exactly. So it, it really ends up feeding into their government, into everything about Indian culture. Uh, but now with, you know, your leaders converted to Buddhism and Buddhism is saying, hey, if you uh, join us, you're not a serf anymore. You can be whoever you want to be, right? You're all equal. So that was kind of an enticing factor to convert. Hmm. Um, and it, it ultimately becomes the same kind of thing when Islam is introduced into northern India as well. Uh, that's their way out of the caste system, which... You mentioned on the uh, Elite Eight bio, it ultimately doesn't really, it doesn't take uh, hold over India, ultimately. You know, there was kind of brief movements to try and break away from the caste system, but it ultimately fails because it was so entrenched in their culture. But the Buddhist missionaries do spread it largely to East and Southeast Asia, you know, China, Indonesia, all of those uh, areas become largely Buddhist and are still largely Buddhist today. So I think that's, uh, you know, the biggest, the biggest outcome as far as the spread of Buddhism from Ashoka is the commissioning of that. You, and you did mention the kind of Twitter post edicts around the, the country. And I think that was uh, pretty cool because, you know, this is happening in uh, like 250 BCE. And one of our next matchups, we're actually going to talk about something pretty similar with the Napoleonic Code. So, uh, you know, him trying to have this system of law and spread it throughout his empire. Uh, and then that, that comes back up in our next episode. But one of the things that I got out of that too was, you know, his, the Shoka's Dhamma, right? You guys mentioned that. And that was kind of his like philosophies of life. But in reality, if you like read through those and you read through, you know, the, the teachings of Hinduism and the teachings of Buddhism, it's literally just, it's like trying to avoid plagiarism. It's like when you're writing a school paper and you just looked at Wikipedia and you're just going to change the words a little bit. It's it's very synonymous with the Hindu culture and the Buddhist culture. We're just going to reword it a little bit. And it ultimately also really heavily influences China and Confucianism. If you read the uh, teachings of Confucius, who is going to come along a little bit after uh, Ashoka, kind of with that spread of Buddhism into China. Very, very similar teachings in all of those. Uh, but I guess to, to finally conclude where I was going, that said, you know, obviously Ashoka is uh, a pretty fascinating person. And I, I can certainly see where Rich is getting at, but I, I'm voting to you, Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not I'm mad. Gonna... I'm not mad. It's, I think... It's, I think Logan's just like this is like the first matchup I've ever actually lost. Like Logan's on the losing end like every time. <laughs> no, no, we just talked about we just had like a fifteen minute discussion about how interesting a joke is, and he's oh. like, "Oh, and by the way." <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so, like you said, yeah, I didn't really right, get to touch yeah, yeah. on him. I didn't get to touch on yeah. anything that I, I found out right. about him. And I think there was important stuff to say there. Yeah, Logan mentioned how tough this matchup is, and I, I do think it was a close one. You know, but. And while there might have been other people that are kind of like T.E. Lawrence, to me, I just found his story super fascinating. You know, I, I love the stuff about him as a kid, just biking 2,000 miles across France to look at castles and draw pictures of them and stuff and then sell them to the museum. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, ends up finally getting this sponsored archaeological dig and 
oh, by the way, while you're over there, we need you to spy on the Germans and the Ottomans. And then ultimately ends up this huge uh, advisor for Arab independence. And I think that's, this dude wasn't a military genius to begin with, but he's in the area. He knows the area. And, you know, because of his experiences, oh, he's going to be the perfect advisor for these Arabs in their fight for independence. And then kind of ends up being a pawn in the larger larger game there between the French and the, the British that, hey, we're going to tell them that we're actually supporting this independence, but we're really going to screw you guys over. And I think, I don't know if it was mentioned in the bio or not, but you know, just kind of his internal conflict with that, I thought was pretty cool that he is, you know, loyal to his country, but he also feels for the Arab cause and that I, I read that he actually, I'm trying to remember which, which city it was, one of the Syrian cities, but he, he tried to have the Arabs go in and conquer it before the British and French could arrive in hopes that the British might see like, oh, they did it on their own. Maybe we'll actually let them keep this as their own Arab state. It was and, uh, Damascus. But it ultimately fails because the French come in anyway. And yeah. Was it Damascus? Yeah. The French ultimately come in and take over anyway. But you know, I kind of liked that, that he has that internal conflict. And then we see that in his later life, too, that he's always got that remorse for kind of screwing over, the, for his role in screwing over the Arabs. And one other thing I, I guess I forgot to mention, too, was the, the stuff about his autobiography or his book and some of the discrepancies within it. Yeah, autobiography is you guys mention that? heavy air quotes. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> that uh, there's pretty, pretty substantial stuff in there that is largely thought to be fabricated to make his life seem more interesting, I guess. But nonetheless, I think his story is fascinating. And uh, so that's why I'm picking T.D. Lawrence to move on. And Logan's just going to rubber stamp it real quick. <laughs> so it's, yeah, probably probably not um, not a surprise which way that I'm voting. But I, so Ashoka the Great is so fascinating. And the whole change of heart, and he also came from, at least relative to his brothers, a lowly position and, you know, rose to greatness and became this, you know, a, a great emperor. But I think the thing that ultimately kind of, pushes T.E. Lawrence to that 50.1% more interesting is honestly the opposite of what, Rich, what you were saying about, oh, you know, well, he's just like this, he's just like this one guy, you know, who's, he's kind of a, you know, a a, a peon, basically, and he's, he's not like a, a huge leader. And I I think that maybe that I just, I personally connect to that more, having been like, in the military is an E1, like nothing, you know, no, no influence or power. He's basically in the same position and he's just, he's just so good at what he does. And he's, you know, has all these like the perfect skills and is in the perfect right place at the perfect right time to achieve greatness. Um, and I just think, I just think that's so interesting. And so that's why, that's why I'm voting T.E. Lawrence, but it, it really, I mean, it, like I said, I think this is the hardest, definitely the hardest matchup so far. And I, I don't know if, if any of these other matchups are going to be are going to be as as close as this one. I mean, it really was like a 50.1 to 49.9% split here. It, it's similar to when we, I, even back in the first round, I remember when Napoleon beat Catherine de' Medici, it was a similar kind of thing. We loved Catherine de' Medici and thought she was fascinating. And basically, you know, we you know talked on and on about how awesome she was. And then we're like, dot, dot, dot. But she's going up against right. Napoleon, so she loses. I mean, you can make an argument for her being in the Elite Eight very easily if, if, if the matchups had just been drawn uh, differently. So, yeah, same kind of thing here where it's just like it's a bad beat. Oshaka is uh, definitely uh, a fascinating figure, but uh, not today. Not today. The, the other thing, too, another thing, just, <laughs> just another thing that makes T.E. Lawrence super interesting <laughs> um he he like initially wasn't he wasn't going to be allowed to be in the british military because he was too short like he would he wanted to hmm. be just like a oh, straight up regular soldier and they were like sorry you don't meet the height requirement he was only like five three or five four something like that like he was he was too oh, short wow. and which is really? funny because peter o'toole plays him and peter o'toole is like over six oh. feet tall <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that's why um, that's why he was like in the you know intelligence bureau doing like desk work in Cairo's because like that was the job that he could get basically to contribute to the war effort. 
but then he ends up, you know, getting to be like special forces basically at the time. It's like because he just he knew Arabic and he, you know, knew the culture and was the perfect perfect skill set at the perfect place at the perfect time. Okay, so the next phase would be to continue our little game here with the relics from each of the fallen foes that have been collected. So there should be the eight things that T.E. Lawrence will take into the final four to maybe help him in battle or just kind of, we just think it's a fun little interesting image that uh, uh, someone could paint for us. (laughs) So... Uh, again, kind of, kind of like we've done before. I, I have, I wrote down some initial notes, but I'm definitely open to some better suggestions from what you guys maybe thought about these things. For T. Lawrence himself, I mean, the iconic thing is just the, yep. the headdress with the band around it, just kind of keep everything in place. Do you have any other ideas for what he might be wearing? No, I think, or, I, or I be think able to that, I think take in. Perfect. Is that the one? Yeah, uh, yeah, the the head because it and. The headdress specifically, because there's, you know, there's the iconic picture of him in the full, like, traditional Arab garb, but um, there are also the iconic photos of him in his British military uniform, but wearing the... Oh, true. The Arab, oh, you're uh, right. That's right. He still has... So yeah. That that's, that's perfect, yeah. And then from Oshaka, I, I have something, but what did you guys think for o- Oshaka, or Ashoka? My first was, like, one of those... The uh, edict of rules, obelisks, things, but I don't know how you bring that into battle. So. No, I, I think that's. I think I think he gets one of the stone pillars. Yeah, yeah, I, that's what I wrote. I wrote a. <laughs> oh, okay, perfect. I wrote a pillar to proclaim your will. I mean, if if uh, if Genghis Khan gets the roof of the Sistine Chapel, I think we can give T. E. Lawrence a stone. Pillar. <laughs> okay, right, very, very right. true. And we can figure out some some T. E. Lawrence quote that he will put on the obelisk right. back there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And then going back through the bracket here, so let's follow kind of maybe Oshaka's path. So Oshaka beat Ramesses the second to get into the Elite Eight. So what would we get from Ramesses the second? I was thinking like the, the Pharaoh's staff thing. Oh yeah. You know the, what I'm like talking about? Thing? Okay. I, I had put a war chariot. Oh but, uh, the... yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I like that. You have the, you have that largest, uh, I like that chariot because battle. it also goes with I like the I like the war chariot. We've talked about that chariot battle uh, multiple times, so I think that that's yeah, I think that's perfect. Because that was what was the the name of that battle where they Ramses was super successful because of his chariots. Oh shoot! It was against the the Hittites or whatever, but I actually forget the name of the battle its itself. It was the name of the yeah, little community that was right there, and I'd have, I'd have, yeah, I'd have to double check it. But and I also remember the I dug the idea that the Egyptians had the fast yeah. chariots and the Hittites had like the right. tank chariots, but the faster ones were better. So we're, we're giving him the the winning chariots from the largest chariot battle in world history. So now T. Lawrence has got his headdress on, <laughs> riding Ramses II's war chariot with a pillar of Ashaka behind him, and we're only three-eighths of the way there. Okay. And then Ramses had beat Julius Caesar, which I just had something as simple as just the laurels, and we could put the laurels around on top of his little headdress here for the kind of iconic yeah. Roman thing. Uh, you think of Julius Caesar yep. there. Yep. That's what I was going to say, too. Okay. Or we for Julius Caesar, I was going to say we could give him the Rubicon River. <laughs> <laughs> but i think the lore i think the laurels is better <laughs> okay okay i love the thought though that yeah it's it's uh gets a little more elaborate Just taking the river with him yeah, 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 yeah i like that concept though and then the first round ashaka beat alexander the great and here's what i'm pretty partial to you guys might have a better idea but this is something that's always kind of enamored me about alexander the great is that he carried a copy of the iliad with him during his conquest of uh, the middle east and asia so Alexander the Great's copy of the Iliad. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's, oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to give that to T.E. Lawrence to now take with him into the final four. And then back on uh, T.E. Lawrence's side, he beat Gandhi in the Sweet 16. And again, this one seems kind of obvious. I mean. The glasses. Oh, the, gla- oh, the glasses. Oh, we, yeah. uh, I was going to go with the robes. Okay. Okay. The robes. You could definitely yeah. do the glasses as well. Or yeah, is there anything else that we would do? With, Didn't we with give somebody Puyi's glasses already? Yeah, we gave Cleopatra Puyi's. No, glasses. right? Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 specifically with Gandhi, you have it's the homespun, handmade robes. So it's it, that's it, true. It's the it's the principle that they represent too. I, I was gonna say we could we could also uh, maybe we could like put a pin in it and as we go through everybody else, if somebody else has like maybe a cooler outfit, we could also give him 
he could be carrying like a little box of the Indian sea salt that they make themselves. Mm, mm. Ooh. Or is 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 the way to combine those that it's with the salt it's, march. It's like a margarita. His homespun is dusted at the bottom <laughs> with salt because of the salt mart. So like it picks it up as you walk. Like it's gonna right. It's, it drags against the ground. It's gonna have salt. So basically, he's got a margarita salted rim uh, on the Gandhi homespun robes. Yay, nay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Handmade or handspun robes with salt. <laughs> and uh, and and T. Lawrence will be right at home in those anyway. They're very similar to uh, what he was wearing. They are different, but. Uh, the Arab ones, I'm sure, were probably bought, and I don't think they made them as themselves as much. I'm not sure how that all worked. So then uh, Gandhi had defeated Ava uh, Perone in the first round. And again, I do have something, but I'm curious to see what you guys wrote first. Because I don't feel great about mine, but I think it would work. Hmm. I don't know. She's, she's a tough one. She's a tough one. Like I, I did come up with something, yeah. but she's a tough one. Okay, so I, I wrote her microphone. Oh, I, you always, you, yeah. Mo, mo, most pictures of her have a micro. She's has, she says those iconic kind of like forty style microphones in front of her, and she gave was kind of known for her speeches to the public, and obviously you know he got the song from the movie, right. but uh, you know even in real life she was always giving speeches in front of that kind of that prominent microphone. So that's about kind of the only thing I could think of. Well, and she was a singer too, wasn't she? Before she, so that's true. Yeah, she's kind of a singer yeah. actress before that too. So yeah, I guess that does kind of fit. And gives uh, T. Lawrence, you know, so he can have his edicts written down on his pillar, but then he can also right. just, you know, say him right there into Avita's microphone. Because I am, I'm one hundred thousand percent sure that if T. E. Lawrence was alive today, he would have a podcast about his exploits in <laughs> in the Arab Revolt. So he, yeah, for sure, he needs a microphone. True, true. <laughs> He's turning the Avita microphone into a podcasting microphone. You are absolutely correct. And then he'll just tell everybody why he should be the most interesting person in history while <laughs> yeah. Genghis Khan is about to cut him in half. Okay, and then the final one, T. Lawrence in the first round defeated Ip Man. So what would you do from Ip Man? Uh, the little, I don't know what it's called, but the the little wooden thing with the little arms that stick out that he does the Wing Chun practices his form against. That is what I wrote down. Okay. I, I, I mean, I, I put it in three words. I wrote wooden training dummy. <laughs> we should maybe look up the name of that. Because people are going to be upset if they know what it's called, and we just called it. Oh yeah, there you go. Oh, that wooden, that wooden thing. Yeah, yeah. You find you find the actual name of that. Okay, so now T. Lawrence enters the final four, riding the war chariot of Ramses II with his traditional Arab headdress that is now graced with the laurels of Julius Caesar. He is also wearing Gandhi's uh, homespun robes with salt he has a pillar of ashaka to proclaim his will while also announcing all his intentions and glorifying himself into avita's microphone and he carries a copy of alexander the great's copy of the iliad and to get ready for battle he trains on ip man's wooden training dummy (laughs) so the the chinese name of it i don't think i could pronounce Mu Rin Chuang, maybe, but it says that it's known internationally as the Wing Chung dummy or just the wooden dummy. So we really weren't that far off. <laughs> oh, so I, by adding training, you actually, I, uh, right, yeah, I you, gave you, like, too, much too much detail. <laughs> it's just it, it man's yeah, wooden dummy. Yeah. Okay, okay. So yes, T. Lawrence joins Cleopatra and Genghis Khan in the final four. And we have one more matchup to go to figure out the full final four. And that will be next time when we have Napoleon versus the Empress Matilda. Hold up. I gotta, I gotta kill a wasp. Oh, okay. Did you get it? I don't know where it went. I'm, I'm gonna have to call you back. It's like, I'm gonna have to look for it. Um, Okay. Or if you want to just stay on, I don't know. But it went somewhere. It just came in through my AC, so I might have to have the maintenance people look at it. Okay. <laughs> you know what? We'll just we can just keep doing this, and if it becomes an issue, I'll deal with it later. I was like, I was, I was, I was, I didn't want to say that. I was like, or you could just ignore it. <laughs> yeah, but I, yeah. For now, I'm not saying now. I'm not saying like forever. Yeah. Where you go to, yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't want to sleep with it knowing it's in the room. But other than that, I mean, it's not going to yeah. hurt you. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs>
Is it mad? <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> it's literally buzzing around inside the lamp that's like a foot away from my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to get it, though. I'm trying to think. And you probably don't have a fly swatter. Do you have like a... I have a shoe, but I can't hit the lamp. Right. Is the thing. And I don't want to piss it off and then make it. No, right. Because it's the, the king rule of, applies to wasp. If you if you strike a king, you better kill it. If you strike a wasp, you better kill it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Tell you what, let me let me see if I can get some of the like the maintenance guy to can come. Can you and, open your window and try to just shoot out the window? Uh, No, I, the window doesn't open. Oh, OK, that's part of the problem. Yeah. Shoot it into the hall and then it's someone else's problem. Yeah. Yeah, well that's the thing. If I try to shoot it, it's gonna it's gonna I don't know. Well you can you can uh, corral them without making them mad. It's they basically they don't know it's you. You just kinda like put something next to it and then slowly move the thing next to it and just you know what I'm saying, corral it. But then it just flies around and does whatever it wants, but Yeah. Yeah, hang on. Ow. <laughs> hey Rich. Howdy. Okay, so it's not responding to any of my attempts to try and get it to move. It's just kind of like hanging out in the lamp. I even shut the lamp off and turned another lamp on to try and get it to oh, yeah, move. Yeah. And it's not. And I can't swat it because it's sitting like right on the light bulb inside the lamp. Can you move the lamp? Um, Maybe, but I don't know where I'd take it. Well, just to the other side of the room <laughs> for now. Well, I guess, but I mean, if I'm holding the lamp... And then it decides it wants to leave. You're a fucking oh. marine. Deal with the wasp. <laughs> I well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go down to the front desk real fast and see if they have like raid or something I could or just a spray bottle of something that I could hit it with. Gotcha. So, gotcha. I'll be right back. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm back. What did they say? So I have a spray bottle of spick and span that was the closest thing they could give me. So I'm gonna move my computer real fast away from the away from the lamp. What's spick and span? I don't even know what spick and span is. It sounds familiar, but I forget what it is. Oh, it's a I don't know cleaner of some sort. Okay, so you're just gonna piss it off. Okay, got it. <laughs> well, I mean, it won't leave the lamp, and I want to hit it with something. Oh, so basically, yeah. It was, so never mind. It's just a little mist to get it to leave. Okay, yeah, that'll work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. So we'll see. <laughs> I wonder if we should, just in case there's like Mission accomplished? Know, inconsistencies or we like say the same thing twice or whatever. Yeah, we should just let the listeners know that, you know, there might be weird stuff between where we cut and now because I had to kill a wasp. Well, I can, edit, around I can edit around anything, but yeah. The, the biggest thing is just oh, okay. the transition is, well, uh, and we should, we should we kind of talked about that was relevant. We should make a record that I was very, I was very valiant. I was valiant and brave, oh. and I successfully vanquished the wasp. <laughs> um, and I didn't. I only screamed just a little bit. So <laughs> I don't remember where we were. <laughs> we were actually not too far from done, though. Honestly, um, I was talking, and then and then you <laughs> wet your pants. <laughs>